I was really getting exposed to a lot of great things, including Fela, including listening to a lot of Slum Village, and including being around Bilal, Jill Scott, Erica, D'Angelo, The Roots, Most, Talib, Dave Chappelle. We all was just hanging, kicking it. And, um, you know, I feel like this album was me defining a new thing for me and, and taking music to a new place. And it was the first album that me and Dilla worked on. And, like, it had that what Dilla is about with the MC, like with me, um, on, you know, like, cause Slum is his own sound, but he was able to come and produce something for me that was like, that helped create a sound. And, and with Amir's executive production, it just was, and his, some of his production, it just, man, I feel like it's a, it's a piece of art that I'll always be um, happy about and grateful for. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out. On this episode, we're going to take it back. Taking it back to March 28th, the year 2000. My man Common releases the classic LP, Like Water for Chocolate. And I'm going to break it down. And I've got a special co-host, my man B. Cox from the Vault Classic Podcast. So relax and chill. And we'll get the podcast jumping. Let's get it. And just like that, we are back. Once again, it's your boy 12 Kyle. This is the 12 Kyle Podcast. And we're taking it back. As I mentioned in the intro, we're taking it back to March 28th, 2000, the album Like Water for Chocolate by my man Common. And uh, as I mentioned in the intro, we got a special co-host. This co-host is uh, new, you know, relatively new to me on the scene. But I mean, he's got a dope podcast and uh, I've been rocking with him for a minute. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcoming into the 12 Kyle podcast for the first time. My man B. Cox from the Vaults podcast. Uh, what's up, bro? Hey, what's going on, brother and Kyle? I appreciate you for having me, man. Thank you so much. Man, I, I got to say, and I think I told you this before, man, I love your podcast, man. It, it's, it's, I can't even remember how I found it, but uh, anybody that talks classic hip hop is all right with me. <laughs> oh, no doubt, man. Yeah, definitely. We are definitely kindred spirits when it comes to the music thing. And I appreciate you for checking it out. And definitely, I think one of the things how I found you is when you reviewed D'Angelo earlier this Ooh, year for the 20 okay. year anniversary of Voodoo. So yes. uh, de- we had have definitely similar taste on how we view that album. And mm-hmm. I definitely know that we'll have similar taste on this one too, because this is an all time favorite of mine, just as a little preview, but I'm glad to get into this. I appreciate you for having me, Brian. I'm ready to get into it, man. No problem, man. Once again, glad to have you on. I know we had talked before about you'd reached out and we said we'd do something together. So I'm glad that we are able to, <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm glad that we're able to get together and do this one. This is uh, one of my all-time favorites as well. So let's take it back, man. March 28, 2000. Uh, the the hip hop scene was a little bit different <laughs> in 2000 than it was, uh, you know, 
I guess when we talk about some of the other classics, but uh, when we look at the landscape of music, do you remember uh, how or what you were kind of vibing to back in 2000 or maybe where you were musically? Yeah. So the year 2000, <laughs> just a little tidbit um, for those, of course, who are listening out there, the fans of the 12 Cow podcast. Uh, the year 2000 was actually the second. The beginning of that year was actually the second half of my senior year in high school. <laughs> Thanks so, for making making me feel old. <laughs> hey, hey, look, man. Hey, look. I just thought I'd put that out there. Oh, okay. But, but I say that because it was a very critical time in me listening to music, my development overall. But it was a critical time in my de- in the life journey that I was starting to go through, coming of age, finally being an adult, a young adult at that time, and getting ready to go through and leave one phase of my life and enter into the next one. And musically, well, man, I was always a really, really big fan of East Coast hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, for when I started, when I first started listening to hip hop, probably in the late 80s, when I was uh, low grade school, kindergarten or first grade. And I had a lot of older sisters. I'm the youngest of four. Okay. I had three older sisters. So I had a couple of sisters that were actually one that was in college, one that was getting ready to graduate from college and one that was closer to me in age. So when I started listening to uh, it was a lot of Dougie Fresh, Rakim, and Eric, um, Eric B and Rakim, mm-hmm. Pete Rock and C.O. Smooth, eventually later on Biggie. I started getting into West Coast hip hop a little bit later. Uh, I would say right around middle school or at the end of elementary school and the middle school. But I was really deep into at that point in time, my underground boom bop, traditional hip hop type sound, really organic. So I was into a lot of, especially around this time, I was into a lot of rockets, a lot of Mostaf, a mm. lot of Talib Kweli. Mm. So Common was right in my wheelhouse of what I listened to because great lyricist, great MC. And this was an album that was coming out right around this time. And you remember in 2000, during those first three months of 2000, we had some heaters mm-hmm. dropped during that time. Yes. You want to talk about Supreme Clientele, I reviewed on The Vault. Also, yes. Dead Prez, Let's Get Free. Yes. There was a lot of great music at the, at the tail end of 99. So it was a really great time. The game was starting to change, as you mentioned, but you were starting to get some real gems when the, this type of style or this lane that you were in as far as you get into what you got from Quali, Most Def, from Common, from Dead Prez. If you were a Wu fan, getting stuff like that from Ghostface. Mm-hmm. So it just continued on. I thought was a great start to the new millennium. Man, you made a great point. I think it's uh, that particular time was very, like you, the word you used, very pivotal, I think, in hip hop. Because it was a shift, but even in some of the artists and acts that you named, lyricism wasn't lost you know what i'm saying so i think that's one of the things that stood out to me about that time was because you know yeah we were i think when we think about hip-hop at that particular time we were moving toward an era where obviously there was a lot more money involved in hip-hop so it was big business and we saw you know the jay-z's we saw the masterpiece we saw the dmx's we saw all of these artists you know rising and and you know going on these multi-million dollar tours and things of that nature have an album sell sell through the roof but at the same time you know to some degree i think some people thought that we would be losing lyricism as you know the money got involved and to a degree i think we did but like you said when you look at the raucous uh movement when you look at acts like common most def uh, getting tongue-tied talib quali um you know just to name a few that just let us know right there that we weren't losing the lyricism. The lyricism still was here. And I think this album, you know, served as a backdrop for something that was very, very pivotal um, as far as lyricism. Because, I mean, for someone like me, who's been, you know, like I said, a little bit older than my man B. Cox here. 
<laughs> so I'm a little bit more seasoned, but um, I, I grew up, you know, listening to lyrics. So lyrics matter to me. And yeah. um, one of the things that, like I said, stood out to me was just seeing artists and the level of competition was still strong. You know, yeah. you, you couldn't come whack. You know, back then, you know, in 2000, if you came with something whack, people still were going to tell you that it was whack. So uh, you, mm-hmm. you, you definitely made some great points. So uh, as we get into this album, I guess the first question I had, you mentioned that you were in high school. When this yeah. album came out, uh, was it something that like you and your boys rushed to is something that you rushed to how, how did you how were you because i know you already introduced to common but what was your vibe and what were you going through i, I guess when you uh when this album dropped oh man of course it was and just a little further background on myself mm-hmm. uh for the longest while i was at this point in time right around let's say later high school i had just started getting involved in rapping myself and okay. then also producing so you know, when I sat in high school at lunch at the lunch table, you know, like everybody has their cliques at lunch, right? For you got sure, the, for sure. <laughs> got the, you got the athletes, you got the cool kids, you got the weirdos, you have the skaters and the goths, you have all these different cliques. And, you know, Bowie at that time where I was, was one of the more diverse areas in Prince George's County. So we had, you know, a lot, some white kids and also Hispanics and also Asians as well. Mm-hmm. So it was very culturally diverse. But the group that I sat with, we were all the hip hop heads. We were the ones who went and listened to, you know, we had the CDs when they came out. Mm. Like when when most Dev dropped, when Feral Monts dropped, when Sound Bombing One and Two dropped, we were the ones who got there and we sat down at the lunch table and we sat down and discussed. Okay. That's what we did at my lunch table. So I sat amongst the rappers and the producers. So we used to dissect albums from uh, from the perspective of being young somewhat being involved in music ourselves from sort of like, I guess you could say semi an artist perspective. But when this common joint came out, I think everybody was anticipating it because everyone had heard Common's last album, which is one day it'll all make sense. Mm. And that was an incredible album. Yes. And then we had also heard Common on sound bombing too. And with still getting mine in a one nine 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 with Talib Kweli and Sadat X. And we knew that this album was coming out and everybody was sort of waiting for it when it came out. And when it came out, we all got it. And it was sort of like when that first that first day after the album came out, well, really the first day after we got it and then everyone got a chance to listen to it. It was like we all got to the lunch table and we sat there and looked at each other. And I was like, all right, man. So what do y'all think? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was like. It's like, so what do you guys think? And it, it, really, all of us were looking forward to it. And we were not disappointed by what we heard. And when we started to dig into the liner notes and started to dig into the intricacies of this album, mm-hmm. everything just sort of started to emerge. And that's when the legend of this album really started to emerge for me. Oh, no doubt, man. You you just took me back with the sitting around the lunch table because we used to do the same thing when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, I think for me, it was... This album came at a, like you said, a critical time because for me, uh, I just become a father the year before uh, and uh, my soon to be wife, we were getting married. Uh, we, we got married in September of 2000. So this album came out in March and I never forget going to the record store <laughs> just for you scoring at home. Yeah, we had record stores. You couldn't just download this to your phone. Um, yes, sir. <laughs> you actually had to physically go pick up a copy. And I, I remember actually going to get the CD. And, um, you know, I just I was already a fan of Commons. Um, I didn't know how he was going to top one day. It'll all make sense because I played that joint man, 
all the time. I mean, like it was, it was one uh, up until that point. It was one of my favorite albums of of any genre, and yeah, um, I, I just I wasn't sure. I mean, I I had expect high expectations, but you know, I still was just like, okay, I'm ready to see what he's gonna do, and mm-hmm. um, I remember getting it, and you know, I purposely did not listen to it on the way home. I wanted to get home. I got home, played with our son. And then I chilled for a little bit. Once everybody went to bed, I, I remember just sitting down. I turned everything off and I just sat and just listened to it, man. And, and I was I was blown like because I and I'm normally very critical of an album. Like the first time I hear it, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, it's OK. And some albums the first time I listen to them, I'm not really keen on them the first time I hear it. But and then I eventually, you know, it kind of grows on me. But this one from the first moment, I was like. Oh shit, we got something here. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. I, I was I was blown, man. Yeah, it was the same for me. Uh, similar to you, I sort of um, I went upstairs in my room okay. and I had an old. Just to tell you, throwback. I had an old Iowa studio, like, <laughs> stereo. All right, and I had these killer stereo headphones that my dad gave me from his job. My dad worked in broadcast engineering, so he had really good quality headphones. And I plugged it into the Iowa stereo and I sat there and I listened and I think I jammed to that all the way out from when I got home from school until it was, I think I even jammed through it through dinner. Mm. Like I only think I came downstairs to eat dinner that day. Like I think I just listened to it. Like that's how in tuned I was with it. And by the time I was done, I think I went downstairs to the phone. I called my boy and said, Dave, I think I just heard the best hip hop album I've heard in the last two and a half years. Yes. Like, quite honestly, like, I think I've heard one of the best. And now, mind you, I heard Supreme Clientele earlier that year Mm -hmm. and but I hadn't digested it. So I was just like, dude, this is like the best rap albums come out in like the last two and a half years. That's the way I felt. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I got to school, we had this meetup spot at school. And I remember one of my boys coming up to me and he said, yo, comments joint. And we had a whenever we would sit there to describe hip hop, we would give hand signals, right? Thumbs Uh down. We would kind of give a little kind of so what so so sign. But if something was beautiful, we would literally sit there and take the hand and wipe it underneath our eyes as if we were wiping away tears. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) You know? And that's that's the kind of feeling that I got, man. It was just I was blown away because I was just like, dude. He just did something I didn't think he could do. He actually topped this last project. Mm-hmm. And it's, to me, it was it's considerably better than the last project. And that's saying something. Right. You know? Right. And it, yeah, and that, that's hard to do. I think even in that time, because like you said, the competition was stiff. And then, you know, just your expectations. Because, you know, unlike, you know, music of today, back then, you didn't know when your favorite artist was dropping. He might, he or she might drop an album one year and it might be two or three years before they go by before you hear from them again. So it wasn't that mentality of, okay, one day it'll all make sense drop. And then like two days later, you're like, oh, I can't wait till the next album comes out. No, you, you had to, it's like, it's like a steak. You had to savor it because honestly, you didn't know when the next album was coming. So you, 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 you hung on to it and you, you cherished it. And, um, like you said, I, I think it was uh, I think it was a, a, a great time in hip hop when it came out. Now, I know you said that you're from Bowie, Maryland, right outside of D.C. So I guess the next question is outside of your friends, were the people, anybody that, you know, you know, were they like clamoring for this album? Were they really, really you know high on it? Or did was you kind of like maybe oblivious to, you know, the outside as far as like what people thought of this album? 
for the most part, yeah, because I mean, a lot of kids that I grew up with. Now, mind you, you you know the DMV, so you know it goes yeah. very big here. Oh, no question. Um, a, a big portion of the folks that I knew, and you're in high school, everybody was going to be into the radio stations. Up here, it's WPGC, you know, WKYS 95.5, 93.9. Mm-hmm. So everybody's into what's on the radio. Uh, the Hot Boys, uh, oh, Juvenile, no yes. very, very big. No Limit still is so very, yep. very big. Yep. We In D.C., though, there's a lot of folks in here who are into stuff like Ghetto Boys and Scarface and a lot of down south rap music and especially even a lot of Tupac. But I would say there was a considerable amount of people who liked this album outside of just my groups of friends. Even the other pockets of rappers and producers that I talked to was like, yo, this is dope. Like, this is really, really dope. And and I had a teacher and I spoke about this on my uh, Dead Prez episode. I had a teacher, Mr. J. He was one of my uh, African-American mm-hmm. studies teachers. Is this guy. He's originally from Brooklyn. Dreadlocks down his back. Glasses. Very woke. Uh, you know, very educated into a lot of different other things. And he would always be like, hey, yo, check this out. Check this out. Right, right before he's about to drop some knowledge. Mm-hmm. So he actually heard this album before any one of us. And he was like, yo, I'm telling you. He said, listen to this album. He said, first three tracks, you might not necessarily get it. Because I know sometimes, you know, young cats, y'all might not get stuff. He said, but I'm telling you, after track four, strap yourself in. You <laughs> track four on, strap yes, yourself in because yes. you're in for a ride, you know. And uh, but outside of that, though, I was kind of for the most part oblivious to it because a lot of my peers weren't necessarily listening to the same type of things that I was into at that that time. But when I hit people to the album, even the ones who weren't into like this type of hip hop were kind of like, you know what? This jams because this reminds me of a lot of the music that I jam with, like listening to some live bands, go go type music, like the percussion, the bass, and everything else. Even if it wasn't necessarily their cup of tea, they were just like, "All right, man, you know what? I could I could mess with this joint, man. I like it. I like mm-hmm. it a lot." So, oh, no doubt. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Nah. So it's um, I would definitely say that. I was uh, oblivious to it for the most part, but when I did for- get people to listen to it and they actually gave it a chance, for the most part, even if they weren't as uh, as fanning over as I was, they were just like, you know what, this is solid. I like this. I like it a lot. So that's kind of like where it was at that time. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. It, it, I, I wanted to get your perspective on that because it's always interesting when you and your friends really, really dig something and then like you kind of step outside of your box and you say, okay, well, why aren't everybody else checking for it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Especially when it's something dope, you know, oh, because yeah. as hip hop heads, we hold such, we hold, you know, great albums in such high regard. And, you know, we almost kind of take it personal when somebody's not feeling something the way that we're feeling it. Uh, I, I was, again, I was in Atlanta. I just moved to Atlanta. I moved to Atlanta in 97. So uh, by this time, this is 2000. Again, I'm, you know, older, you know, kind of grown a little bit, working, got a, you know, family and a whole nine. And but I just remember I was really feeling it. My boys I, who, you know, who some a few who lived here and then the ones who didn't live here, you know, we were feeling it. And then I remember, you know, turning on the radio. And like you said, it got I mean, of course, being in Atlanta at that particular time, they, they had hit all hip hop station was which was something new and, and something that was fresh and dope. But, you know, this album wasn't getting any kind of radio play. But on the on the flip side, if you go to like there was a couple of lounges that I used to kick it at when I hit the lounge. Oh, my God. It was when they played any joint from this album in that particular lounge. It was crazy. Like everybody. It was almost like everybody was on the same vibe. Like, you know, I can't believe you playing this. This is my shit. You know, that type of thing. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, it was good to see, you know, people who enjoyed it as much as I did. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And I think to me, I was sort of like the same space. Like, well, I definitely wasn't going to any lounges in 2000 because right. I could barely <laughs> I could barely stay in Dave and Buster's after eight o'clock. I know, right? <laughs> you know, but but to me, though, like when you were sort of around playing things, like if you would be in the parking lot after school and you would play this joint, like I think we played this joint for at least a good month month and a half afterwards because it was just so hot you would have the people sort of congregating around be like oh damn what y'all playing you know and the people who knew it would be like oh yeah turn that up that's my shit right there i love that shit i love that you know and it would be like when you play stuff like the questions or you will play the sixth sense or you will play any one of these tracks that are on here that just undeniably without a shadow of a doubt rocks man you would get that same reaction in the parking lot after school when people were playing their respective music you know getting ready to leave from out of school and folks had their, their speakers turned up no doubt, no doubt. Now, when we talk about the production, um, well, actually, before we even get started on the production, it one of the first things that stands out about this album, you actually pay attention to it before you actually even hit play. It's the album cover. Um, yeah. Like Water for Chocolate, there's a black woman or black girl uh, drinking out a water fountain, and under the water fountain, it says uh, colored only, coloreds only. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was... Uh, a photo from uh, I think it was 1956 Alabama uh, shot by uh, the great Gordon Parks um, great photographer Gordon Parks um, that's right yeah she's drinking out of a colored only fountain which was very prevalent you know in the 50s and 60s um, so that was you know that right there in and of itself you know Beacocks from the era that we came up listening to music even some of the artists and, and acts that you named earlier you know your album cover could make or break you you know what I'm saying? So it was going to be the thing that, you know, a lot of times garnered the attention. So, you know, when you go further back and further back in the hip hop time, you know, one of the things that always stood out to me was, you know, an artist's album cover. So right. that was the first thing that got me was the album cover. Um, yeah. Then we get into the production. <sighs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it goes without saying that this was when I look at the production and the people that appeared on this album, it was almost like the dream team, if you will, yeah. in basketball. <laughs> um, yeah. Everybody from, and I mean, first and foremost, Common is a dope MC and, and there are some artists that use other artists as features and stuff as a crutch, but the features on this album really don't I mean, as dope as they are, he could have done them by himself. But even just mm-hmm. some of the the other guest appearances were incredible. Just to name a few: yeah. uh, Vinio Mojica, uh, the great, late great Roy Hargrove, yes sir, um, Fima Kuti, um, Bilal, Jill Scott, Most <laughs> Def, uh, MC Light, Slum Village, D'Angelo, uh, CeeLo Green. I mean. <laughs> That's just the people that show up. Yeah. <laughs> Rozelle from The Roots. Um, now, when we get into the production side, I mean, obviously, uh, a couple of tracks were produced by Quest Love from The Roots. And this album was recorded in uh, Electric Lady Studio, Electric Lady Studio in New York City, which is the famous uh, studio that was uh, Jimi Hendrix's studio. Yeah, um, that's right. So it was a lot of stuff that was going on. Um, and I remember Quest Love talking about what all was the projects that were being created in different sections, uh, 
you know, they were doing this one in, in this section. Voodoo was being done in another section. Uh, Erica Badu's album was being done in another section. So yeah, Ma- Mama's Gun. Yeah. yeah, Mama's Gun. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> so it's so a lot of stuff was going on. And and again, you got Questlove. Uh, and then, of course, most of the well, one other track was produced by uh, the great DJ Premier. Um, yeah. and we'll get into that in just just a few and uh, but the majority of this album was produced by James Yancey, aka Jay Dilla, rest in peace. Um, yeah, my gosh, <laughs> man, <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> I, I get I, it, there's so much I could say about Jay Dilla, but it's again, and I, I think if people have followed me on this podcast, they know I, I hold Jay Dilla as the greatest hip-hop producer ever um that's mm. not a sentiment that everybody shares but i have okay I, I i have stuff to back it up but that's my my personal opinion um okay but uh the production on here was crazy um what did you think i mean obviously you you i know you heard the bars but when you got a chance to kind of sit with this album and you were able to take in these beats and these sounds what did you think about all of this Oh, man. Well, listening to the album at one point in time and listening it, listening to it through your speakers is one thing. When you start to read the backstory of how this album was constructed, mm-hmm. it even raises to me the mythology of it to a whole new level. You see, as you talked about their Electric Lady Studios, uh, these three albums being constructed at the same time. And by the way, if somebody hasn't done it yet, I may just do it myself. I don't know if I make get enough money and and find, you know, get enough clout. I think there has to be a documentary done on this, these record sessions, man. I know that be. Questlove has done quite a bit of interviews, but to talk about the Soul Quarians and what they did in this very short time frame mm-hmm. to come up with three oh, absolute heater albums and the work that was done, not just by the producers, of course, Dilla himself. I like to refer to Dilla as the chosen one. Mm. To me, if we talk <laughs> like about it. like, you know, I'm a big Star Wars fan. To me, Dilla is like Anakin Skywalker. I go. mean, just the uh, the natural ability, the uh the the timing, uh, you know, the the talent, the ear that that producer ear that not every producer has when they step out there and the incredible work that he did did. The quest love to sort of be like the conductor to sort of bring mm-hmm. all these things together to have folks like Pino Palladino. Yeah, like you oh, said, I forgot about late, Pino. Yes, <laughs> to have like the late great Roy Hargrove, to have D'Angelo, all great uh, James Poyser, all great instrumentalists and producers in their own right to be able to come together to make this happen. It production wise, I was blown away because it had it had its hip hop feel to it. But then when you got into some of the things where you see these instruments are being played Mm -hmm. and then also the instrumentalist behind it, it felt so organic. And then when you're recording in a studio like Electric Lady Studio that has really great analog equipment and has so many great people that produce there and the quality of sound that has come out of that studio, when you started hearing the production, it's almost like you were going through and you were having a symphony being constructed in front of you. Mm. And there were so many different movements to that symphony happening and that you had different sections sort of handling this symphony and taking the lead of this symphony. And it all just came together. I mean, to have guys like D'Angelo and James Poyser on your keys or even D'Angelo yes. on the guitar, <laughs> yes. to, have, to have Pino, who in my mind, and probably when you talk about modern bass players, is probably one of the top five baddest <sighs> MFers on the bass 
out there. Crazy. And and to have Jay Dilla be able to pull the majority of this together and his vision for this album. Oh, I told you I was in the beats, man. I was a producer. Okay. This this almost when it came to the bars was just about just as about as critical as Comet's bars. And it was the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack to the story that was being told throughout this album. It was phenomenal. And um, it's almost like you mentioned DJ Premier. When you talk about the production, it's almost ridiculous to think about it. He was almost an afterthought yeah. when you start thinking about this album. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and the track he produced was incredible. It was incredible. And they just shot a video for it and everything. Yeah. And I mean, but... To be able to bring so many of those elements together, man, some I, I, I need to see a documentary done on that with all of the parties that were involved. I'm talking about every single one of the Soul Quarians. Obviously, Dilla can't be here, but I right. need D'Angelo. I need Questlove. I need Common. I need Erica, The Roots, mm-hmm. Q-Tip, who came by for some sessions as yep. well. Like, I need all that. <laughs> I need all of it. Man, let me tell you something. If you get that done, I'll be front and center. I'll, I'll put up some money for it because <laughs> yeah. I'm much like you, man especially as time moves on, I'm more so interested in how stuff was created, particularly stuff that resonates with me and music mm-hmm. that has resonated with me over a period of time. So to get that kind of documentary, I think we would be, it would really, really be dope because it's just, like you said, when you look at Voodoo, when you look at Mama's Gun, when you look at this album, Like Water for Chocolate, those are three genre bending albums. You know, yes. hip hop was in a different space in, in 2000 than it was in 1990. So, you know, and even Common the MC, when going from Common Sense to Common, he was in a different space. And for him to be rhyming about some of the things that he was rhyming about and then for this sound to be put behind it was just incredible. And like you said, I mean, he's got some heavy hitters and they don't it, it's 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 a very even balance because common doesn't overshine the production and the production doesn't overshine common they, yeah, they right. blend very well together yeah it was a very good balance and it was almost like you think about any analogy of a great sports team you could talk about the 86 celtics the 96 bulls or yeah the 86 celtics the 96 bulls you talk about any great dynasty or sports team mm-hmm. everybody sort of worked and played their part mm, and nobody facts. tried to step out of their lane and try to take anything over everybody played their part man and to me i think that's rare when you have that many heavy hitters all these folks we named have their own resume Mm -hmm. every single one of them could sit there and you could put their resume on the wall and they'd be like all right this is hall of fame worthy right here but no this was actually a, a team effort and everyone who put together an effort here to make this album come together like let's put the egos aside let's go ahead and make the dopest record we can make with all of us here like why not you know, right. <laughs> let's go in the studio. <laughs> Everybody bring their aim game. Let's see what happens after we're done. Man, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in those, <laughs> those recording sessions, man. Man, what? I mean, I would have <sighs> loved. I know it probably would have been great to be able to hear some of the creative process. It would have been great because, you know, it would have been some great A smoke in the air. Like mm-hmm. it would have been just good vibes being in there when the album was being made. No doubt. No doubt. It, it was so, so crazy. And, and, and again, this album is one of the centerpieces, not only just for that particular movement, but also, you know, in, in hip hop and where hip hop was actually going in the 2000s. So uh, yeah. this is a great place to take a com- commercial break. So uh, what we're going to do is we'll take a break and then in the break we'll hear from Common. And then on the other side, man, me and B-Cox are going to break it down. We are going to 
chop up each of these songs and you know tell tell you guys what we think so sit tight we'll be back in just a second Being in Jay Dilla's basement, just that experience, um, him picking me up in the truck when I thought he wasn't going to rap on the song Funky For You, um, where Batin and T3 were writing this, their verses, but Dilla wasn't. And he went home, he dropped me off at 2 a.m., went home that night and came back with Thelonious. And just picking me up in the truck, hearing that beat was like amazing to me. Um, that he had made it that night. I thought he was done. I didn't even think he was. So, Thelonious, um, that, and just going to Detroit to create with Dilla. And just like that, we are back. Once again, it's your boy, 12 Kyle. This is the 12 Kyle Podcast. And uh, we are talking about the 2000, March 28th, 2000, like water for chocolate 20 years later i got my boy b cox in the building from vault classic podcast uh before the break man we said we were going to talk about each of these tracks so let's get to it man um the starts off (laughs) (laughs) i'll admit the first time i heard it i wasn't sure what it was i was listening to it Mm -hmm. sounded it kind of reminded me of someone being on a stranded island or something Mm -hmm. but um the first track, man, Time Traveling, a tribute to Fela, uh, featuring Vinio Mojica and Roy Hargrove and Femi Kuti. Um, mm. Great intro. <laughs> mm. This one was uh, produced by D'Angelo, Questlove from The Roots, James Poison, and of course, Jay Dilla. Um, <sighs> what, what did you think about this, man? Because this is, this, is, this is a very interesting way to start off an album. So sort of like you, when I first heard it, I was sort of like I said, OK, what, what's going on? I don't know what I'm listening to, mm-hmm. um, because I didn't know much about Fela at that point in time. I mean, I was 18 years old. I had no enough, no idea who he was and understanding, you know, how important he was, not just to to uh, black music, but African music, especially Afrobeat um, him being one of the uh, uh, the the pioneers of that. But when I started listening to it, it reminded me a lot of Voodoo's intro. You know mm, how good how that in, how that intro sort of build mm-hmm. how player player sort of build it yes, and the next thing you yes. know it just gave you this bam this release and then all of a sudden you're into it and then the track just starts going and then comment starts going and it's just like oh this is when I realized I was listening to something a whole lot different than I'd ever heard from Common ever before mm-hmm. and I and I liked it and I was just like oh wow like this is a nice beat. Like you hear those congas and stuff in the background and, you know, that nice clap sound that you hear in the background as well. And it's like literally when I'm in my car, I start jamming because it's like, OK, all right, common, let's go. Like I, I can see where this is starting to go. And I see when it started to build and it got into that track, it was like, dude, this is um, wow. Like this is different and, and a good different. So that's where I was off of listening to time traveling. And and it was just like, all right, man, well, let, let's see where the rest of the album goes from here. Yeah, you're right. There is a very uh very distinct build like you said and i never really thought about it until you just said it just now uh play a player which is the first track on d'angelo's voodoo album um it begins the same way you know very soft and then it comes in and it's just like okay here we are (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
Um, then we go into track two, which is produced by Jay Dilla. Um, Heat. <sighs> Bruh. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I think about Heat when I listen to it is like, and I wish, man, I wish, I wish we had Jay Dilla here. Yeah, man. Oh, boy. Because I would just love to, yeah, no doubt. R.I.P., man. I would just love to pick his brain as to how he came up with some of these sounds. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, man. That uh, that beat, (laughs) my goodness. It's like, thinking of Heat, it kind of put me also in the perspective of that Robert De Niro Al Pacino movie, the the movie Heat. Love that movie. That's really what I got the feel of it, as though they were sort of going maybe for that sort of motif. Mm -hmm. That's what I got from that track. Um, I have to be honest. I wasn't necessarily a big fan of Common's bars on this or his flow on this. Okay. Um, I can't, but I kind of gave him a little bit of leeway because I figured this was the warm up track. You mm-hmm. know, like I was like, all right, you know. But that beat by Dilla, my goodness, like that. <laughs> Dilla does some amazing things when it comes uh, to his beats. I mean, he does. the different things that he pulls from different uh, tracks and the the drums or stuff that he would sample and the bass lines. Uh, I mean, it's just like, where did you get this from? Like, how did you do this? And the sample that he got from that was actually Tony Allen's um, uh, Asiko in a silent mix. That's where wow. that sample came from. And I like to be able to go on a site like Who Sample to see where they yeah, pulled me too. the samples Love from. That. And uh, and Della, I was just like, goodness, man, like, how long did you dig for this, bro? Like, <laughs> like seriously. <laughs> yeah, because he that, literally had to yeah. dig for it. Literally. Yeah, yeah, had to dig for it when you had to dig for records, man. But incredible beat. Um, the bars, like I think for Common, I think he was saying some really great things in there. I wasn't a big fan of his flow at first, but you know it kind of grew on me the most right after you get out of time traveling. But mm-hmm. incredible, incredible track by Dilla, and a good way to kind of start the album off when you kind of see where it's going to go from here. Right. No, I agree. I think uh, I, I like his rhymes. I think more so for me, the the beat kind of took me over because I was just like. I just couldn't stop bobbing my head <laughs> yeah. like it was just it was something that just like kind of takes you into a space that you just really don't even think about um mm-hmm. then we moved to track three cold-blooded uh featuring the great late great roy roy hargrove <laughs> um this one was produced by d'angelo quest love kalo sanders and the roots mm-hmm. um cold-blooded the I guess I probably should start with Roy Hargrove, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if people really can appreciate, you know, how talented he was. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, 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 we lost a great one, you know, when he, yeah. he passed away, but, um, that horn, I mean, he kills it on, it, it sets the tempo for everything and sonically and then common comes in and he just i mean he he's going in i love this track yeah man god gave roy hartgrove a gift man yes. he gave him a gift as a horn <laughs> player that not many people actually have mm-hmm. when this track gets started man and as soon as that first those first keys come in and then you hear that horn mm-hmm. and then by the time quest love gets working on the drums it's like oh boy <laughs> it's like here we go and mm-hmm. then you hear common coming off with those first rhymes and little daughter started, started nursery school. school right it was just like you know <laughs> it just he just sort of rode that beat and then 
that baseline like just kept riding like when i ride with this in my car this might be one of my top three tracks from this album to play because mm. that baseline the live music those horns and i mean there's a period at the end of that song where you hear uh where they're playing that uh you know like hey look here man i i, I tried my best man you hear time to, and roy's just sitting there just going off on the horn just like those staccato notes over and over and over again right until it pops in before quest comes back in with the drum and i was just like god damn <laughs> <laughs> right right like y'all put y'all foot in this track man. boy my goodness I would have loved yeah. to have been a fly on the wall in, in, mm-hmm. in that studio session. It was just, like you said, the everything started to come. I, and it's not that the beginning of the album was was dead or anything like that. But I go back to what your teacher said. First couple of tracks. And then this, you know, you got to you really got to buckle in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this is my joint, man. I still. I mean, Roy Hargrove, again, he just he sets the tone and it's just between him and then this beat and then Common coming in. It was just phenomenal for me. Um, then we get to track four produced by Jay Dilla. Uh, and like I said, the album, in my opinion, in much like your teacher said, the album turns here. Yeah. <laughs> if you could if you if you are familiar with uh, track and someone running the 200 um this was the turn and (laughs) doing it track four man first and (laughs) foremost before i even get into the production by jay dilla i gotta ask you and this is off this is off base but i'm gonna ask you because i don't know do you think that common in his lyrics and his bars were take was taking a shot at dmx I think he was taking a shot at a couple of people in okay, this track. Okay, okay, okay. Now, I, I, if, for those of you listening, mm-hmm. the reason why we're saying this is because this was a time where, you know, in hip-hop, you could take subtle shots, subliminal shots at people, and it really was left up to the listener's interpretation. So we don't know. He never came out and said he had any beef with DMX, but I yeah. just I, I had to get your opinion. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I think he was taking definitely a shot at DMX. I think he was also probably taking the shot at Ja Rule too. Okay. And, uh, Ooh, okay. And, and and but you could definitely see in the bars what he said back to back LPs the sound the same. same. I surround the with with the same, with a four pound of brainstorm to make niggas dance in the rain. You know, it's it's. I honestly I know that was for sure a shot at DMX because mm-hmm. in '98 DMX had dropped his back to back Hell is hot mm-hmm. and blesses my blessed blood my blood within the same year mm-hmm. he didn't even give the album a chance to breathe before nope. he had a second joint out you know and uh, I think he was definitely on his throwing darts thing out here and I think he was ready to throw some darts to some people because I think people were sort of he I think he was a little fed up with the way that some of the things in the games how you said hip hop was making that change mm-hmm. and I think he was sort of fed up with the way some of the MCs how they were operating and he definitely had his his, uh, his darts out and he was throwing them out on this track so I think definitely a J- DMX definitely a Ja Rule and maybe a few other MCs that we're not thinking about oh no doubt and, and the reason why I asked that is because that actually didn't <laughs> honestly it didn't come to me until about maybe five years ago <laughs> i just yeah. happened to be listening to it mm-hmm. and i'm like back to back lps that sound the same bro. i was like yeah Wait, is he talking about dmx because he, he said mm-hmm. something different from these hollow and grunting niggas which was hollow, you know, and, hollow and grunting niggas exactly strictly <laughs> exactly so you know he said uh um what was it? what was the other one he said 
generation i ex cats like a muslim like a muslim so i was like fell huh. off when i pushed them yeah there's a double entendre generation exactly. x or is it or is he talking about dmx yeah, yeah. I, I um so i had before we even got into the track i had to ask that because like that mm-hmm. that has always stuck with me like like i said probably it's something i caught maybe about four or five years ago and mm-hmm. i think that speaks to uh you know when you listen to an album particularly if it's really really good you should be able to get something different every time you listen to it maybe it's a snare that you hear one day that you've never heard before maybe it's uh uh, an ad lib or something like that but it's something you should take from it each time that you listen so yeah um this is something that i caught like i said just sitting down listening to it one day Mm -hmm. yeah i think i caught that uh some years later too and I was like, yo, was he who was he talking about during this? <laughs> and then I started putting stuff together, like, yo, was he just talking about I think he was talking about DMX and Ja Rule, man. So yeah, Common had his darts out on this one, man. People don't understand. Like when, when Common wants to get his darts out, he could be a deadly MC. Mm-hmm. Don't forget about the Kofi and you know the the holistic talk and everything else, man. Common could go with the best of them when it comes to stuff like this. Oh, no doubt. As, I mean, as, as, I, as Ice Cube found out. Oh, <laughs> oh, no doubt. I mean, people people have to remember it. At the end of the day, he's an MC. Indeed. And he is not going to play games. He's serious about being an MC. He said, uh, he said, you wasn't a thug before Pac came. Ten years ago, you had a high top trying to be, trying like, to be Kane. like Kane. Then Snoop released and it became and it a G thing. thing. Claim sets. Your city ain't got games. Game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So yeah, that that was um, I just had to dig into that real quick, but um, sure, man. The uh, then we get to the the, the production side. Yeah, <sighs> Jay Dilla again, man. <laughs> again, again, that piano. Yes, uh, wherever he got that piano sample from, that bass line. Like, oh, Dilla does these things with his bass lines. It's just like, man. dude. Like, if I could travel back in the time and sit with him in the studio for a day, like, yo, bro, how did you do that? Like, how did you filter that bass line? And then how did you cut it up on this MPC or this SP to make it sound like that? Like, because that's what I want to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how did you do that? That right there? Can I find out how to do that? <laughs> that you know was what my the, big thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know what the thing is? I think he's the only one that knew how to do it. I don't think anybody else, yeah. you know, knew how to do it the way that he did it. And it was just like he was he was basically playing with people you know what i'm saying as far as this production goes but exactly yeah man that track again that's where the album turned for me Uh, and and Mm -hmm. it's not there's no shade on the first three tracks because they were phenomenal Mm -hmm. but this album takes a serious turn uh at track four uh then we move into track five the light um this is probably i would say this is probably common's biggest hit uh probably one that made him a household name if you will i mean obviously they shot a video for it uh this one mm-hmm. again was produced by jay dilla uh, of course mm-hmm. it contains the uh great bobby caldwell sample um bobby caldwell who i did not know until a few years ago was white <laughs> <laughs> I think that caught a lot of people off guard. They're like, hold on, this dude's white? Yes. You mean to tell me there was a white boy singing this the whole time? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What Bobby you want to do for white. love is mm-hmm. done by Bobby Caldwell, and he's white. Yes. And, oh, um, man. So, yeah, the light, man. So his you know, comment on this one, man, He and I think at the time, I want to say he may have been dating or starting to date Erica Badu. Um, yeah, it definitely started right around that time. Yeah, so you know, I think this is kind of like an ode to her. 
in to in some way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, his lyrics are really, really dope on this one. Uh, he he kind of killed me with the thick thigh, thick thigh, thick thigh. I still don't know what the hell that is. He was just probably trying to get some bars to finish the right, song finish off, the- man. You know, <laughs> right, right. And, and I think he was just like, "All right, I'll tell you the rest when I see you." Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's clearly sitting there, like, "Okay, what the hell are you saying?" Mm-hmm. But um, what what did you think about the light, man? It's just another example of Jay Della's brilliance. First of all, this sample of Bobby Caldwell's "Open Your Eyes." When you see here the way that Della flipped it, it's just mm-hmm. like, "Wow, dude." Like, again, this is Jedi-type mastery you're talking about, like, on production. And then Common's flow, uh, uh, him getting into a conversational-type piece, man. He's had, he's done a few of these throughout his career. Mm-hmm. And I think he excels when he gets into that conversational-type piece. And, you know, like I said, right around the time, he probably was just starting to talk to Eric Badu. And it's funny that the track is called Open Your Eyes by Bobby Caldwell, because in reading some of the backstory of these sessions in Electric Lady Studios with the Soul Quarians, is that somebody told him, I think they were like, yo, man, like, E, she's cool. Whatever you do, just don't look in her eyes. Like, just don't do it. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> but a dope track, nonetheless, man. Dylan's Mastery comments, you know, conversational piece here. Really something. It was a big, a huge, huge hit. And it's like on those old school mixes. It's one of those you hear every once in a while, man. So definitely still a big hit for Common, even to this day. Oh, no doubt. No doubt, man. A, a joint that still gets, like you said, major airplay all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we move to track six, Funky For You with Jill Scott and Bilal. Uh, this, this one was produced by Jay Dilla and James Poyser. Um, mm-hmm. Another banger, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I just, and it took me a while to really, when I look back at Common's lyrics, the first couple of times I heard it, he was like, I style for the ooh, wow for the ooh. I was like, well, what is he saying? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then mm-hmm. I I got it. I, I figured what he was the wordplay that he was using. He was doing yeah. something different, which is you know at that particular time in hip hop, everybody was I don't want to say everybody, but there were a lot of MCs that kind of sounded the same. And yeah. you know, as far as like their format, as far as how they structured your bars, you being a, a producer understands that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think for him, I think what he was doing was flipping it, and I think that yeah. made it that much better. What, what did you think about this one? I did, man. The same exact thing. I think he was just, like I said, flipping it, taking the track and putting it on its head. But I think the funk of this track, hence the title of his track, yes. really spoke out. I mean, yes. Della and James Poyser on production, Bilal and Joe Scott doing their thing. And at that point in time, they were two of my favorite vocalists and are probably mm-hmm. still my favorite vocalists even to this point. But they really carried the hook of this song through all the way through to the end of the song where you hear the end of the song and you hear Bilal started sort of going off where he had his own yes. little solo. <laughs> and it was just like, uh, no lie, when I'm in the car and I hear that part, I sing that part myself. You got to. And, I, and, and to me, I think I sound as good as Bilal's. <laughs> but, but that's just how it is, man. It's like, you know, you hear that. And then, of course, that bass line, like, oh my gosh. Mm. Like, Dilla, why do you do this to me every single time? And Bilal killing it with the vocals, comments sort of setting the track up for the way, you know, how to way it went and his you know the flow and everything fit everything fit the the funk of the track and the way that it rolled and of course how can you go wrong with joe scott man it's a a great great track great entry oh no doubt man you 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 can't go wrong with jill and like i i i echo everything that you said man i think uh the the balal joint at the end kind of reminds me of like somebody in church 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's when people start to get up and start mm-hmm. shouting. Yep. When that yep. boy, when a boy going up there, he's singing, he's singing, yes, testifying while he's yes, singing. And people get up and start shouting, waving their hands in the air. <laughs> yes. That's what it was. Took us to church. That's exactly, exactly what he did. Exactly. Uh, and then you move into track seven. The questions featuring most deaf. This was this also was produced by Jay Dillon, James Poyser. Mm-hmm. Um, at that particular time, keep in mind that you know most deaf had already been introduced. I mean, he had been out for a while, but uh, the Black Star album had already come out, and Black on Both Sides, most deaf's debut solo album, came out in 1999. So, yes, Lord. for <laughs> and I know right, and so uh, for most deaf to get on this joint. And go back and forth over a simple beat, but it was a dope ass. Again, the JD J Dilla's bass lines just yeah. crazy. They um, are. What, what did you think about this one, man? This is one of my favorites. This is very creative. Um, and by the way, the 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 lady on the track, if I'm not mistaken, is Moni Love. Oh as wow. Well. Yeah, if I remember the line notes correctly, Moni Love was the was the was the lady who you heard on the track answering okay. the questions, you know. And but to hear the type of questions that Kama was asking, mm-hmm. and and to hear the responses, and then the hook, of course, very very simple, but the beat sort of just made everything sort of go. And what they were saying complemented it so well. And then you bring most in, and they're most asking probably the most pointed questions of all. Mm-hmm. Why do I need ID just to get ID? <laughs> <laughs> if I had ID, I, I would wouldn't need. <laughs> you know and most man you gotta love it because most so it seems to compliment every track that he's on and at mm-hmm. this time he was in his bag like you said off of two classic albums one yes. that was black stars yes. and one that was his own and they had done work before on respiration which was true, on the most definitely quality yards yes and, and just a great production by by jay Della and great questions by both most in common and the flow just like made it roll man it was just like you know when you hear this joint man you can't do nothing but just kind of just sit back and just nod your head that's you it. know and just just vibe out to it you know so uh great work man and this is we're not even halfway through the album and we're and it's it's a hell of a ride already right 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 they uh he killed me with uh he said why did dr j shave his beard or mustache yeah, <laughs> I was like, yo, yeah. I, I thought the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> this dog is my dude. Shout out to Dr. J. Indeed. Um, then we move to track eight, Time Traveling. This is a reprise of the track one, which mm-hmm. is only a minute, 33 seconds, but it's blazing as well. I mean, and it keeps the album still moving. Um, yeah. And then, Indeed. And then we move into track nine, the aforementioned Sixth Sense with uh, featuring Balao. Uh, this one was produced by DJ Premier. Yeah. <sighs> Bruh. <laughs> Man, let me tell you something. We, you know a Premier beat when you hear one. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> because he had the scratching on there, obviously, from that he took from uh, uh, Mob Deep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, to hear Common rhyming over you know a premiere beat man like this this was this was this was special to me I, I love this track man um my favorite bar on this one he says when he says if i don't like it i don't like it that don't mean that i'm hating it mean that i'm hating goodness man, I, and I, you. I stand by that to this day because <laughs> there's a whole bunch of shit i don't like <laughs> yeah because you know people use that term a lot in the late 
20th century, mm-hmm. turn of the century into the millennium. Everybody's like, oh, why are you hating? You why hate, are you hating? You Everything have... was hating, hating. Like, nah, I just don't like just this don't shit. Like it's, it. I don't like it. Thank Sorry. You. you know, I don't like it. And uh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it, mean, go ahead. My goodness. This this track with that sample from Mob Deep Illustrious, you mm-hmm. know, from Prod- Prodigy's unmistakable voice mm-hmm. that uh that hook by Balao adding as much soul as he could to it mm-hmm. and then comment on three verses just literally just just killing it over Premier's track. And the one thing that I love about what Primo does is he'll set his track up so he makes sure is that well, I don't know whether he does it pre-production or post-production where he makes sure he sets his rapper's bars up almost as good as any producer as I've ever seen. And you could hear that in the breakdown at the beginning of the second verse, the way he chops that piano track up mm-hmm. and then lets it ride out for the rest of that second verse. And uh, Primo, another Jedi mastery. And yes. like I said, it was Jay Dillon, Anakin Skywalker, and Primo's Yoda. Like, seriously. No question. No <laughs> so, question. But it's... um dope track that video the visuals were great Mm -hmm. and it was just like oh man so primo's on here he did a track on this this is dope as hell and uh i everything that you want man a soulful hook great bars and a primo beat oh no doubt i agree a thousand percent man i think this this joint man i never get tired of hearing it um it was perfectly placed i think on the album uh and again, you going back to something that you mentioned earlier, you know, it probably came as a surprise to some people. But Premier being on this album, you know, mm-hmm. he does. I don't want to say he gets overshadowed, but I mean, when people talk about the production of this album, it generally centers around Jay Dilla and Questlove, yeah. and rightfully so. But, mm-hmm. you know, this one is perfectly placed. I think it's a great track and it, it also adds to the, to, to the, you know, the musical sound. And again, who wouldn't want a primo track? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Who wouldn't want a primo track? Like, sure. A premiere track. I'll take yeah, one of those. I'll take Please, one of thank those. You. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, man. Then yeah. we move to track 10, uh, a film called pimp, uh, featuring <laughs> Bilal and, and MC, the great MC light. This one was produced Woo. by Jay Dilla as well. Um, I'll say this, this is the one track. I think it took me a while to warm up to, um, Mm -hmm. because, and I get the premise of it because they have a skit leading into it uh, where common, you know, he's talking this deep, powerful, black, righteous shit. And then he goes Mm -hmm. into pimp mode and starts slapping up this, this trick who's, you know, supposed to be out there getting money for him or whatever like that. Yeah. And so, (laughs) so the juxtapose between the two. Um, so I get it. I get the background of it. I didn't know. I, I say probably until maybe about four or five years ago, I didn't know how or why they had this track on here. It wasn't like it was a bad track. I'll say that it's my least favorite track. It's not a bad track at all. I just mm. didn't. I didn't think that I needed that track. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's a track that over a period of time I've grown to like. Um, I don't hate it. I like it. Mm-hmm. I would. I'll put it like this. I guess the best way I can describe it. I love the other tracks. I really like this track. Okay, got so it. That's that's what I'll say about that. What's your take on this one? You know, I, I love this track immediately. Okay. The first time that I heard it, from the minute you heard that bass line come in, that do, do, mm-hmm. do, 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 I was like, okay, let's go. And then you got this back and forth conversation between Common and MC Light. Mm-hmm. And 
one of the great things that I love about MC Light is her voice. Like she has yes, out of all, all MCs, but for female MCs, she has one of the greatest voices on the track. Like she speaks with authority. Mm-hmm. She speaks with confidence. It's a little hood, but also a little sexy as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, but um, you had this conversation between this uh, this uh, prostitute mm-hmm. and this uh, righteous pimp who's trying to save her and the back and forth banter between the two of them to me conceptually I think was very very clever mm-hmm. and then of course Balao brings it all home by singing that hook yes you know <laughs> <laughs> brings it all home by singing that hook and then another great production by Jay Dilla but I thought this was very creative and I thought it was interesting that they stuck it at this point in the album very much but so. I think though for some people it was just like okay here's something a little bit different and then what they were talking about was actually hilarious. I mean, the back and forth between the two of them, like the beginning of the second verse is make your next move, your best move, mm-hmm. choose me. Nigga, how I look. <laughs> Hoping for a nigga and a koofy. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if I was on your track, you couldn't produce me. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I man. mean, it was just like, there was just really, really winty banner. And I like storytelling tracks. I like when conceptually things kind of work out. Same here. And they didn't overdo it. And to me, I thought it was just done, you know, just about as well as it could have been done. But I like this from the beginning, man. I really did. You know, and I'm glad you said that because I'm always interested to get people's, uh, you know, perspective, particularly when they differ from mine as far as like what I like or maybe what I didn't like or what they like, what they didn't like. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, it, it's not it's not something that I dislike. Uh, it's mm-hmm. definitely one that I think has grown over me over a period of time, because at one point in time, I was skipping this track. <laughs> I was oh, like, wow. Yeah, I was, I was just like, I don't want to hear that. It, or I had to be in the mood to hear it. But now um, I definitely appreciate it a lot more. And I see why it is where it is. And like you said, it's a very playful banter. And it's very, you know, it's it's very much so opposite of what we heard. Because you have to put it into context. Like you said, yeah. this is the 2000s. So at that particular time, everybody was talking about that pimp shit. And they was, you know, everybody had hoes and all this kind of stuff like that. So yeah. this was a play on that. And so, you know, for a common to do this and then have the great MC light on the track with him, I think that was dope. Really, really dope. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And then we move to track 11. Mm. Nag Champa. Mm-hmm. Jay Dilla. Yeah. Um, this is <laughs> this is my favorite track on the album. Wow. Okay. Uh, man, I just and you know what, man, I'm such a fan of Jay Dilla mm-hmm. that it's hard for me to like. If you said, okay, give me your favorite Jay Dilla, if you said your favorite Jay Dilla beat, I, I it's almost like ask me to pick my favorite child. Right, <laughs> it's Skylar, by the way. But you know, don't, don't tell my sons. <laughs> but because uh, she's the only no girl, doubt. Um, no doubt. No but doubt. Uh, but yeah, man, th- this is it's one of my favorite Jay Dilla tracks. Man, this beat is just so smooth, man. It's and then what yes. Common is rhyming about, man. I just this was a track that I just literally fell in love with from the first time that I heard it and I couldn't get enough of it. So you know how like you give an album like your first run or whatever like that and then Mm -hmm. you may pick a song or two that might be the first song that you start with on your second run if you don't run the album all the way through. Mm -hmm. This was my first song to go back on my second run. Wow. Um, Yeah, incredible. Incredible, Mm -hmm. incredible joy. What what did you think about this one? Smooth, man. Uh, You know, 
I'll give you another funny story. Mm-hmm. This track is so smooth, and I love Comet's bars on it. I thought this is some of the most thoughtful bars on here, as yes. far as the subject matter and the things that he was saying, and and his wordplay. And when you dig into the lyrics, it's great. But that beat is so smooth, and in combination with Comet's lyrics, back in the day, remember you used to record a, a voicemail. Mm-hmm. I actually yes, had yes. this playing in the background <laughs> of my voicemail. Like, yo, you reach, yo, you reach B, leave a message at the B, take a piece. You know, I had this playing in the background. That's how smooth of a track it was, man. Uh, I love, like you say, with Dilla. This is probably, I'd say, in mine and within my top five of Dilla beats all time yeah, because man. of how smooth it is. And just the way, like, the, when you hear those flutes and, and, uh, and that bass line and just, oh, it is great. It's a really, really chill, chill track. Like when I when I used to smoke, like <laughs> no, when I used to smoke heavily. Let me right, put it that right, way. Right, right. This was one of my go-to tracks when I would have like random playlists. This was one of them I put on my playlist on uh wow. on WinAmp or on Windows Windows Media Player, man, because it was just such a chill beat. And those bars that Common were spitting, like the the things he was talking about, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it was just like. Yeah, man, this is this is cool. I wouldn't say this is my favorite, but this is probably within my top three of tracks on the album. Okay, though, but okay. a really, really smooth track. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, if if I smoked, I would smoke to this. <laughs> 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 then we go into track twelve, uh, Thelonious, featuring Slum Village. Uh, this one also was produced by Jay Dilla. Now, if you're a fan of hip hop and you know hip hop. This song actually appears on Slum Village's album uh, that would subsequently be, be released in June, I think, of 2000. Um, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Vaughn 2. Mm-hmm. Um, man, this joint right here, man. I just, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Slum Village. And, you know, again, Common at the time was, you know, going back and forth. I know he, he mentioned you know, in several interviews, how he was going back and forth between New York and, and, and Detroit recording this album with Jay Dilla. And mm-hmm. um, he he talked about, you know, writing. I want to it was one of the other songs. He didn't anticipate the, the, the fellas from Slum Village getting on this particular track, but uh, he Jay Dilla did it. And, you know, it came out so dope, man. I just. Whew, this is yeah. this, this joint is it, it's amazing man. it's amazing and 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 quiet is kept you know jay dilla gets on and he got he's got bars <laughs> you know so oh, yeah. um I, I love this joint man what, what about you i love it too man and when i heard it on both this joint and on fantastic volume two those are two of my standout tracks on both mm-hmm. of these albums because I love I love SV. Yes. I love you know everything that not just Dilla brought, but then also T three and Baton. Yes. And to hear Common and to hear the, the 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 four of them sort of go on this track and drop bars and and over over a great Jay Dilla, very understated beat, but still really 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 mm-hmm. smooth as well. And uh, it it was great, man. And it just has that you know nice little vibe like. You know, you hear those vocals in the background mm-hmm. that sort of set you at ease, man. But just sort of the synergy that you have between Common and Slum Village with Jay Dilla sort of being the architect of it all. But but solid track as well. Very, very solid track. And I was pleased to hear it, not just on this joint, but on Fantastic Volume 2 as well. 
Oh, no doubt. No, doubt. that was that was like the icing on the cake hearing it on, you know, Slum's album as well. And like I said, with Common Al- Common's album coming out in March and then this Slum's album coming out in, in June, the following June. I thought that was dope to hear it, you know, on those back to back albums. Um, then we move into track 13. Payback is a grandmother. <laughs> uh, this one was produced by Jay Dilla as well. Uh, now, if you're a hip hop fan and you're into storytelling uh, and if you're a common fan, you remember that common, he, he gets into his storytelling bag in, in, in on almost all of his albums. But, you know, on one day, it'll all make sense. He talks about a robbery that happens mm. and um, he talks about how he you know felt about, you know, going away and coming back home to, <laughs> to an empty house, mm-hmm. literally. And mm-hmm. um, on this one, he's talking about, you know, getting his his grandmother getting robbed and him going to the barbershop and finding out the guy who actually robbed his grandmother is a dude that actually was cutting his hair in the barbershop. And so his his bar, his his wordplay and just the storytelling, man, I thought was impressive, man. I, 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 I love when MCs tell stories because. Everybody can, well, I don't want to say everybody. Some MCs can just give you bars. Other MCs who are able to, you know, craft a story and, you know, find a concept and, and support that story, I think is really, really dope. And um, this is a really good storytelling rhyme, man, that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, actually ends in, <laughs> in gunfare. But uh, uh, what, what did you think about this one, man? Incredible. Yes. Like, borrowing from what you said. What started on one day to all make sense uh, heavily with the stolen moments part one two mm-hmm. and three one two and three and that, yes, and that had me intrigued listening to it and then coming back and listening to this and prior to that at the end of Thelonious you hear the voicemail from his grandmother saying Rashid mm-hmm. grandma niggas <laughs> ride me on the gambling boat boo call me when you get a chance you know and then the track just kind of starts up and then you hear Common going to this plot everything from his grandmother calling him mm-hmm. him bringing her in her telling him the story of them getting robbed him going through trying to figure out how who robbed her mm-hmm. and figuring out how he could fit how he could you know going through the thought process in his head like he lyrically takes you on a journey as far as his thought process like who could it have been like you know thinking about the guys around the neighborhood and other people and then finally the climax and the third verse when he figured out that it was his barber you know where he get the bracelet from he said it was his sisters you know mm-hmm. and then he said the money clip had Gramps initials on it. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> <So> I <laughs> sat, then I whipped his ass up. Four niggas pulled masked up, pulled up in a Cadillac truck. Yep. And then after that, you hear the gunfire, gunfire. and then the not the the dispatch talking to saying that we got suspects at large. It's two, possibly three dead, and everything. And it's just like you hear the sirens going on in the background. Really, just told a really dope story, mm-hmm. and it continued to be able to insert the prowess. of common as a storyteller, and not just any storyteller, but a vivid storyteller. Yes. You yes. can see the images in your head as he's going through each one of these verses as this situation progresses. Just really, really, just dope skill, dope track by Jay Dilla, and great sound effects to sort of accompany everything as well, man. So, just a plus for me, absolutely. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. You you took me back with uh, the stolen moments, part one, part two and part three on the on the uh, uh, one day it'll all make sense album. And that like I said, that that goes back to just, you know, what we grew up listening to as far as an MC being able to tell stories, because, yeah. you know, that's how 
a lot of times MCs will win fans over. Can you tell a story? Can you tell a story that can that we can follow from point A to point B to point C, have a beginning, a middle, and an ending? And I mean, Common does just that, and and I mean, mm-hmm. he he masters it. And yeah. um, I think when you if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you have not. Obviously, if you haven't heard this album, please go listen to it after you finish listening to this podcast. Yes, yes. But uh, but yeah, definitely pay attention to that particular song because for anyone who wants to MC, you don't have to rhyme about anything. But you know, he gave you gunplay. He gave you you know his his attitude. He gave you the bravado. He gave you you know his mental aspect as far as what he was scheming on. You know, he's trying to plot because he knows that the hood is going to tell him. You know, anybody that pulled off this robbery because they even <laughs> even mentioned that they got yeah. Jordan for his ice. So Jordan was yeah. on the boat. Jordan got robbed on too. too. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man. Uh, yeah, yeah. That another, another dope track. Um, then we move to track 14 mm. ghetto heaven part two featuring D'Angelo. Uh, this one was produced by uh, D'Angelo quest love and James Poyser. <sighs> Bruh. Mm. This mm. If if Nog Chomp is no, my favorite, this is 1A. Mm. This joint right here, man, mm. Mm. is crazy. It is crazy. Mm. It <laughs> It's hard for me to put it into words. Yeah. Um, first of all, D'Angelo is smooth. He's killing it on the vocals. Um, but Common delivers, I think, some of the bars that, you know, uh, that I always remember. I remember even talking about this on a previous podcast, just some of the bars he delivered on this particular song. Yeah. Um, but from start to finish, um, like I said, if I had to, if I had to tell you my favorites, this is probably one A because it's just <laughs> it's crazy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> what did you think about Ghetto Heaven Part Two? All right, you got to give me a moment for this one. Man. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> This is my favorite track on this album. Bar none, 100%. It's not even close. And let me tell you why. The beginning of it, you hear that harp in the beginning. And then you just hear the key come in and then D'Angelo. And when he starts off with that bridge and you hear the rest of that track come together. And then you hear that first verse by Common. This is a beautiful track, man. Uh, this, I have played this track the most out of any track on this album. One, it's common, one of my favorite MCs, D'Angelo, who had just dropped. And I told this, I said this on my podcast, Voodoo may just be my favorite modern album of all time. Mm. Meaning of, of my era, meaning since I've come of age, to now that is my favorite album i'm off the heels of listening to voodoo and all the soulfulness and the funkiness and everything the spirituality that you got from it to hear d'angelo and common come together on a track like this a track that was beautifully produced from the keys to the flutes Mm. to the bass line to the vocals on the hook to the bridge to common's lyrics and you are right those bars on the song it was almost like you were reading a poem in some yes. parts of it. Like, honestly, this track does so many things for me. This track brings me up. This track brings me down. 
I've been happy listening to this song. I've shed tears listening to this mm. song because of some of the memories that it brought back from people that I've lost mm-hmm. and some of the times that I've been through. <sighs> this man, this bruh, like it, one of the one of the things I thought to me that I thought was most disrespectful about this album. Well, what I saw, what happened afterwards is the fact that they made a version about this yeah. with the Macy Gray yeah. and decide to make a video out of it. And then to also on most of the streaming services you hear now. Yeah. Do you on. hear the version with D'Angelo and Common? You're no. Right. You hear this the sound of Illadelph remix with Macy Gray. Boy, if that ain't about disrespectful Man. as I don't know what, I don't know what to say. I don't because, know who did that. <laughs> which, which let me preface this. If you didn't hear this version, at least in my opinion, and you heard the version with Macy Gray, you probably could mess with it, right? Mm-hmm. But there's no way in hell None. after I heard this version that you come giving me this piece of shit with Macy Gray on it <laughs> and call it Ghetto Heaven. I love it. I love it. And so how deep did I get into this track? I actually visualized the video of this in my head. Mm. I saw the video of this. Like exactly if I was Hype Williams or Mm -hmm. anybody else who used to direct videos back then, like how you would have like, it would have been a beautiful video to shoot along with alongside this track. Like that would have been something to shoot. So this is the ghetto only ghetto heaven that I will acknowledge is this one with D'Angelo. The other one with Macy Gray. Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist to me. It's dead to me. It's dead to me. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. But this, but this track is beautiful, yeah. man. And it's just like you listen to it and you listen to D'Angelo and Common make such a beautiful track to start closing this album out. And it's just like, bruh, man, this is um, and this was actually a trade-off, you know. Yes, it this, was. Uh, this this track was supposed to have been was supposed to have been on, on Voodoo. And Chicken Grease was supposed to have been on Like Water for Chocolate. And as the story goes, D'Angelo heard them jamming the Chicken Grease or the, what was going to become Chicken Grease. And he said, you know what? I, y'all can't give common this shit, man. We need to have this for my album, man. Like, so they made it. They decided on a trade-off. I'll take this track, which eventually they call Chicken Grease. This track that I'm working on my album, we'll give this to Common. And that track was Ghetto Heaven. And I almost think like it worked out perfectly. It did. Because Chicken Grease worked perfectly for Voodoo. And this track worked perfectly like for Water for Chocolate. Oh, no doubt. I mean, bro, I could do a podcast on this song (laughs) by by, by itself, bro. That's how much I love this song, man. My favorite track on the album, bar bar none, hands down, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, man. I agree a thousand percent with everything you said. I think uh, I remember even writing blogs about this one particular song um verse two always gets me um yeah. love your happiness shouldn't de- doesn't depend with a man strong woman why mm-hmm. should you depend on a man no i'm, I'm sorry mm-hmm. let me go back love your happiness don't begin with a man strong yeah. woman why should you depend on depend a man i stand you want a man that's resourceful if he pay your bills he feel like he bought you talking to a friend about what love is her man didn't love her because he didn't love his yeah. hugged mm. her from afar said what i felt you never find a man until you find, find yourself. yourself 
time mistake time helps mistakes you can learn from because one man fucked up you shouldn't turn from you want a certain guy gotta reach a certain point too at the destination a king, king will annoy will you, annoy you. Mm. yeah <sighs> bruh yeah that's a bar i mean it like is. man yeah. it if, is if that doesn't speak to you then you don't know, you know, I, I, I can't mm. tell you, I can't tell you much. Yeah. <laughs> you have to live a little bit more in life. You do. Um, that, that, I always come back to that verse, man. I mean, that verse mm-hmm. right there, that part of that verse of verse two, just, it, 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 it's incredible. And, and like you mm. said, it is, you literally could do an entire podcast just breaking down that one song mm-hmm. because it's just that dope. Um, yeah. I'm glad you gave the historical background on it because like you said, I'm trying to picture chicken grease on here. Mm-mm. Wouldn't have worked. Nah, nah, <laughs> maybe a beat, you know, maybe, yeah. but mm-hmm. you know, it wouldn't have worked, but nah. Mm-mm. And I mean, ghetto heaven would have fit on voodoo. Yeah. But like you said, I, I'm, when you look at the, uh, like I use Spotify, when you go to Spotify, I'm pretty sure, like you said, all of these other internet providers, when you go to this album, the Macy Gray version is on there. So you don't even have this version. So normally what I do when I'm listening to this album and I listen to this album at least once every two or three weeks, um, what I'll do is I will, (laughs) I'll listen to it. And then when I get to this song, I'll skip the Macy Gray version and I'll go to YouTube and I'll listen, listen to it on YouTube (laughs) and then come back to the album. When I go to track 14, I mean, excuse yeah. me, track 15. Yeah. Uh, speaking of track 15, uh, a song for a Sada featuring CeeLo Green. Um, mm. This one was produced by James Poyser. This one right here, man, is really, really deep and educational. Common yeah. talks about Asada Shakur. Um, yeah. And I'll be honest, prior to hearing this song, I didn't, I've heard her name before, but mm. I didn't know who she was. So, yeah. uh, listening to the song made me want to do more research and mm-hmm. i mean you know she was uh, and, and as far as i'm as far as i know i think she's still in cuba yeah um where she's escaped to uh but i'm pretty sure he went through even hell trying to get to cuba to see her to interview her for so that he could do you know this song or whatever like that but he paints a picture of her life and what led her to you know fleeing the united states uh and fleeing the United States government and going mm-hmm. to Cuba uh, in, with a political asylum. Um, what yeah. did you think about the song for Asada? It's another deep song, man. These mm-hmm. are two back-to-back, Ghetto Heaven and a song for Asada, two of the heaviest songs I think on here. And again, it's another instance where you have Common displaying his storytelling skills. Mm-hmm. As you before, I did not know much about Asada Shakur. I did know that she was Tupac's godmother. Um, I knew that she was a panther. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I wasn't aware of her whole situation, her having escaped to Cuba and everything. But the story that he told and telling her story you know, it's one thing if you're making up a story and you're sort of using it to say, but this was telling someone else's story in a song and uh, over three verses, man, it was heavy to hear about the things that she went through from the arrest to her being in the hospital to her trial to her escaping from prison and eventually being at where she's at right now, all aided by CeeLo Green's great vocals mm-hmm. on the hook, man. 
I mean, it was uh, another heavy song. And then, of course, the clip you hear at the end of the song with Asada herself talking. Yes. Um, it's just a very, very heavy track, man, but very dope, very educational. To me, it has a very somber tone to it because considering, you know, the circumstances around her life, um, she's still a fugitive from justice, but a freedom fighter, a political prisoner, an inspiration to many people. Uh, it's it's a very heavy track though man something that has a very somber tone to it but very dope no, nonetheless i um, mean a great combination by CeeLo green and common yes and those keys by james poiser mike <laughs> <laughs> he kills God. it he kills yeah. it he does man but it's um two very heavy tracks back to back but a song for asada very educational a great story that was told and a great way to kind of help get this album towards the end because it sort of kind of lets you know, man, it's like, you know, the price of freedom and the price for some of those who are willing to go through to get freedom just sort of, you know, strikes a chord. I would even say even in today's society mm -hmm. uh, of what other people are willing to do to get to freedom nowadays is other people are not as free as we claim to be in this country. So it's just a reminder, man, it really is what the song is more so than anything else. It's a reminder of the struggle that we face and the struggle that we continue to face. No doubt. You know? No doubt. No. And and I think it, it's a it's a great piece because it offers a bit of history. And, I, and I, I often say, you know, it's not you know, we go through things like Black History Month. But, you know, our history of, of black people is so much more. And mm -hmm. we can't wait for Black History Month to teach us and we can't wait for the school system to teach us about our history. And, and it's you know, yeah, we know about the Malcolms and the Martins and, the you know, Megar Evers and people like that, but it's people like we have we have a ton of people like Asada Shakur whose story needs to be told. And I'm glad that, you know, Common mm -hmm. took the time and effort to put this on his song. And that way, you know, it inspired cats like us to mm -hmm. who did not know to go one or two steps further to, you know, get more education about her. Uh, Absolutely. Then the album concludes uh, with track 16 Pops Rap Part mm -hmm. Three, All My Children. Um, this one actually features Common's dad, uh, the late yep. Lonnie Pops Lynn. Um, he gets on and does spoken word. This was produced by Kareem Riggins. Um, if you're familiar with Common's albums, I think his dad was on. I know his dad was on. Was it on? Was he? I think he was on Resurrection. He was. And he was on Resurrection. He was on uh, One Day It'll All Make Sense. And then he was on this album as well. Uh, like water for chocolate. I really enjoy uh, Common's dad pops being on the tracks. Uh, he's a funny dude, man. And, and rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's really, really dope that Common gave us a chance to understand, you know, a little bit about his dad and a little bit about how his dad thinks. Uh, and, you know, just kind of give us a, a glimpse into the relationship that they had. Uh, like I said, his dad, you know, unfortunately passed away, I think in 2014. So yeah. it's been some years. And I remember when he passed, I was, you know, I was kind of sad because even though I didn't know him, you know, just yeah. knowing a little bit of what I knew, you know, through his appearances on Common's albums. But he seemed like a really, really cool cat type of cat you want to hang out with. Um, yeah. But I think it's a great closure as far as the spoken word piece and just him just just giving game, you know, to, to the mm -hmm. people that are listening. Uh, what did you think about Pop's rap? I love Pop's, man. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing I think I heard was on Pop's was, of course, his rap, the first one on, Rever on Resurrection. Uh, he featured uh, prominently, of course, on One Day to All Make Sense. And mm -hmm. he has that one skit 
at the end of track four where he leaves a message for for Common <laughs> saying that he wanted to kick Jesse Jackson's ass, you yes. know. And then his rap at the end of One Day to All Makes Sense was was uh was a profound because Common at that time was getting ready to become a father for the first mm-hmm. time. And, you know, mm-hmm. he talked about it a lot on that album and him having a perspective of talking about his relationship with his son and him be getting ready to become a father for the first time and his relationship with his son and sort of just giving the knowledge and the game and and really just showing the relationship that they had. And at the end of this, it's the same thing. Pops gives his rap. Uh, you hear him drop a lot of knowledge and and say some very profound words at the end of it. And it's a welcome addition at the end of it. And I, I got to expect it at the end of Common's uh, albums to hear his dad at the end of those and mm-hmm. to be able to hear a perspective of somebody, especially uh, artists. And uh, not many people would have their fathers on their right. albums with them. Man. And uh, but the fact that they had a good relationship and uh, they, uh, you know, they collaborated. And obviously he wanted his dad to be a part of his projects, just sort of gave a nice little cap at the end of this masterpiece to be able to hear from from Pops once again, speak about um, speak on and give us some knowledge and drop some gems and and drop and bring us out on a very high note at the end of all this man but definitely that love pops man and may you rest in peace no doubt no doubt couldn't have said it better man um this album concludes uh the running time is 77 minutes 51 seconds uh it was cr- in case you hadn't figured it out it's critically acclaimed uh by most people i think i want to say the source gave it four and a half mics uh mm-hmm. You know, most publications, everybody loved this album. Um, I think the album went on to go to to, to sell platinum. Um, and again, Common wasn't a guy who really sold a lot of records per se, but he had a lot of you know street cred and everything like that, and was well loved and well respected. You know, mm-hmm. in all hip hop circles. Uh, so before we get out of here, I gotta ask you know you on your podcast, Vaults Classics, you talk about classics all the time, so. So and we're going to talk about where people can hear and 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 follow and subscribe to your podcast. Uh, but you you and your crew, you guys only talk about classics. So That's right. My question to you is: Is this a all time classic? Is it a modern day classic, or is it just a you know incredible album? How, how would you rank it? So on my ranking on the Vault Classic Music Reviews, we have. Is it certified classic? Is it a borderline classic? Or is it a classic just in its time? Okay. And for me, this is a 100% spoiler alert certified classic. And it's a certified classic because for me, beyond just the whole thing about whether or not you skip tracks or not. Mm-hmm. But to me, when it comes to when you look to classify an album as a classic, which I think to me is the point of my podcast, because I think we use and throw that term around way too loosely nowadays. But here it is. We're in 2020. We're still talking about this album. Here it is in 2020. Me now, 20 years removed from high school when I first heard this album, and it still resonates with me. Here it is. I can remember exactly how it was when I felt And when I listen to this album, it's like a part of me transports right back to the year 2000 and right back to the feelings that I had. Part of what an album does is not just the content. It's not just the the production, which is this is a a one a plus the lyricism, a one a plus the themes, a one a plus. It's the way that an album makes you feel. It's the way that you remember it. It's the way that 
it can bring you up sometimes and also bring you down and also take you on a roller coaster ride. It's the way that it will continue to be something that you look back on even as the time progresses. It'll be 2040 and I'll still be playing this album for my kids. Mm. You know, it'll be something I hope that one day when I'm a grandpa, I could play for my grandbabies because mm. it's 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 that important to me. And when it comes to Common, to me, and you know, I'll, I get into this a lot when we talk about discographies and catalogs. Uh, to me, this is probably number two on my personal list, right behind B. Okay, okay. But it's, but it's not that far behind, though. I mean, it's literally, if B was a 10, this is probably a 9.8, 9.9 in terms of classic material. This is going to stick with me for a very long time. And it's time. I mean, here we are. We talk about things, music being timeless. This is something that a music is genre bending. It's it doesn't stick to the to, to, to what you what you would expect hip hop to be and a rap album to be. This is something that incorporates soul and funk and gospel. And I mean, it's uh, it's a certified classic to me, man, because to me, uh, it, this is something that for years on I'll be listening to and will still rate as one of my favorites. I mean, in this year alone, this is in my top three of albums that came out in this year. Like mm. it's hip hop, hip hop albums. It's it's for me. It's Supreme Clientele. This and Train of Thought by Reflection Eternal. Mm. And 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 uh, it, to me, it's right up there. And it's a certified classic to me, bro. Because I'm going to be listening to this for years to come. And when I have kids, and when I have grandkids. I'll be li- having them listen to this, man. Because this is one of my favorites. It really is. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I think it's I for a while, and, and anybody knows me know I don't I don't throw around the word classic a lot because it is like you said it's it's thrown around way too loosely. Um, <laughs> in fact, I did a podcast called "What Is a Classic." Um, and, and where I talk about how we've gotten to this point, we because everything can't be a classic. Every no. mic, I mean, every every album can't be a five mic album um, mm-hmm. because it's not. I mean, if if that were the case, then you you have no because everything that comes out isn't great, and it's okay to say something is okay. It's okay to say something is decent. It's okay yeah. to say something is whack or trash. Uh, I think the when I look at this album. Even when I move my personal biases aside, I have to say that this is a classic album. This album, yeah. and I think it's been out long enough because I don't think that you can have an album come out and you know be out for two weeks and say it's an all-time classic. No, because it hadn't been. It has to stand the test of time. It does. Um, and when you so you know we probably shouldn't start looking at albums to examine if they're all-time classics if. You know, if they haven't been out, I don't know, 15, 20 years, because mm-hmm. music would have changed so much in that period of time. So exactly. given the fact that this has been 20 years, I am here to say that I think this is a classic album. Um, yes. I think it's an all time classic. I think it is. And again, I'm moving my personal biases aside because of how I feel about Common and, and Jay Dilla. This is a mm-hmm. great body of work. And um, I think you can really put it up there with any of them when you put it into context and i think it's one of the last you know great because i think if you look at hip-hop hip-hop history 
the classic albums i think start slowing down around this time because hip-hop made such mm. a turn that you don't have the production you don't have the lyricism you don't have the impact on its community the way that this album does so yeah my opinion this is a classic if i'm giving it mics i'm giving it five mics if mm-hmm. you say you're giving it four and a half hey, you get an argument for me if you <laughs> say you're giving it four mics i probably could argue with you i won't yeah but <laughs> but, but um <laughs> but yeah it, it's a phenomenal album I, again I, I will ask anyone who's listened to us talk about it you can tell as we wax poetic about it i mean it's it's definitely a classic album. I would advise you to listen to this uh, album once you finish this podcast. Um, before we get out of here, man, tell folks where they can catch you at, where they can catch your podcast at, uh, and all of that good stuff. So, because we want people, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you know my boy B Cox brings it, and I'm and trust me, I'm telling you, I'm not just saying it because he's on here. He has a very very dope podcast, and you don't necessarily have to be hip-hop head but for those who are hip-hop heads you'll you'll appreciate it even more and then what it does is he and the crew they you guys really break it down in layman's terms to what people who may not have been up on an album you know what they need to hear and what they need to listen to in that particular album that you're that you're reviewing so i think that's always key uh so tell folks where they can catch you out catch uh catch you at yeah, man, I appreciate it. I thank you, man, for, for listening no, no, and listening to the show, man. And I appreciate all the feedback as well. Uh, so the Vault Classic Music Reviews, you can catch it anywhere that you can pretty much find a podcast at. Um, you know, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. I have a link tree on most of my social media sites. Uh, we'll start with the Vault. Of course, most of the places you can catch me is on Twitter. That's at Vault Classic. That's at Vault Classic. Um personally my uh, i'll give you that information later but you can also get the vault podcast on instagram at, at vault cmr podcast that's at vault cmr podcast and on facebook and youtube you can search both of us there uh the vault classic music reviews and you'll find us on youtube and also on facebook so please check us out um, personally, you can find me on Instagram on at its lesson. That's at ITS lesson. Lesson is my producer and my rap name. Uh, you can also find me the same place on Instagram at its lesson. And uh, I look forward to uh, hearing from everybody. And please check out my podcast. I appreciate it. It's for music lovers. It's for hip hop lovers. As Kyle has said, of course, we do really break down into albums. We started out doing hip hop albums, but starting this year, we're going to be doing also R and B and also reggae albums as That's well. Dope. So please be on the lookout for that, man. And we do classic albums and we do albums on their 20, 25th and 30th anniversary dates. Mm. So we only delve into the classics because we really do believe you got to let an album breathe before you deem it a classic. Truly. Mm. So thank you. all And make sure you all come check it out, man. I look forward to seeing all the new listeners and interaction on social media. I love it. And I do it all for y'all. No doubt, no doubt. And make sure you hit him up on social media if you if you like what you hear because you know he'll definitely vibe with you on social media as well. Uh, you guys have been listening long enough. You know where to find me on uh, this podcast. Me found on all platforms where podcasts are free. Hit me up on social media at 12kyleig, the same uh, as well as the podcast 12kylepodcast. Uh, so that's going to do it for us. This one is in the books like water for chocolate 20 years later. Uh, so for my boy B Cox, I'm your boy 12 Kyle. We'll catch you guys on the next go round 5,000. Peace.